Welcome to the Sum of It All Bad at Math podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring the book Bad at Math, Dismantling Harmful Beliefs that Hinder Equitable Mathematics Education by Lydia Gonzalez. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. This week, we're chatting about chapter four. We are all math people. And this is a short one, super brief chapter, but it is packed with some really interesting things. Yes, Audrey, interesting things. And I, I just want to give a little bit of a hook. If you haven't read the chapter yet, there is a story about a dog doing some really cool stuff in terms of uh, fetching fetching a stick from a lake. And I'm just going to say my conclusion was that dog was a mather. And so um, if, if you don't have a reason to read this chapter, you've got to get into the chapter so you can read about the dog there you go cliffhanger right there um we will not retell the story you have to read it um so this book this chapter starts with a potentially controversial take i could almost imagine uh our friends over at debate math taking this on as like their debate math topic like are there math people yes or no and um the author just comes out and says like i know some people might argue against it but i firmly believe math people exist and as soon as she said that, I was like, really? Like, where <laughs> are you going ready. with this? Um, and quickly follows, but like, I think all of us are math people. Uh, yeah, that I, I was waiting for that punchline too when I was reading it too, Audrey. <laughs> um, you know, there was another line kind of early on that um, I just I just really loved how our author stated it. And here it is. She says, humans are inherently seekers of patterns. And mm-hmm. uh you know, of course, I mentioned many times about patterns being an integral part of mathematics and so forth. But I just I really love how that phrase is stated. Humans are inherently seekers of patterns. And, you know, it it makes me think that that might be a nice overarching statement for us to even consider, like what we do in our classrooms mm-hmm. and and maybe even how we talk to parents about what we're doing in our classrooms and that we all have that we are just grounded in this belief that humans are inherently seekers of patterns. I just, I love that as a statement. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You know, what's funny about that is that I remember several years ago working with someone and trying to help them rethink what math could be. And I remember like the day it switched, I started getting text messages from the person while they were at Disneyland of oh. all the patterns they were noticing. And not like the secret Mickey, is it secret mini Mickey Mouses that are hidden. It was like literally like, manhole covers and like sides of buildings and like posters and being like did you see this pattern check out this and it was like it finally like clicked she realized all of those things that she was noticing was math and it was like and I wrote back and I'm like see math is everywhere yeah I mean that's great and our author does really a nice job if you're on in grab your book look at 76 to 77 there's just some really nice examples of thinking about how you might think of some things just like your example of of the person you're talking about. And she even mentions like noticing patterns of like when you might go shop at a store and inherently what you're doing is you're starting to notice trends and patterns of when people are at the store and when they're not, and you're going to use those patterns to, to inform your visits. And she ends it with a really great statement and it says, patterns help us to design better cars, develop more graceful dance routines, determine where and how to market products and decide which candidates to support in an upcoming election. So 
I just love that very list. And um, I think it's really helpful for us to just be reminded about how um, these things that don't appear in our textbooks in math class uh, are going on all around us, right? Yes. And I so appreciate that. Um, I definitely don't shop at my grocery store on Friday afternoons at four. Like that's a disaster. <laughs> I've, that's a pattern I've noticed. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, what's interesting about that is that like I can see culturally in our society that when we say, oh, I was wondering what the probability was that I'd run into a line or I was wondering mm. if that was, if it was really a pattern, if I'd see that person again at the same spot, like the idea is not the author is not suggesting that you go and grab a paper and a pencil <laughs> or a calculator and do like a probability problem from like seventh grade or high school. Like that's not, it is not, oh, you see it. And then you do the calculation. It is, you see it period, right? right? You see the pattern, you notice the pattern, or you ask yourself, is it a pattern that in and of itself is the mathematics, not once you go do something calculation computationally on the side. Yeah. And I just, I think what you're talking about, Audrey, has such implications for what, how we do school math, you know, how we, how we think about math in the classroom, because don't we want school math to be more like what you're talking about, where, where students are engaged in things where they're, they're just so connected to real life and they're seeing that they're, they're seeing something like patterns emerge. And it's not something like, um, you know, I have to figure like, okay, I got to make sure I get the right answer and make sure I guess what's in the teacher's head. It's like, you know, uh, I just, you're making me think about school math and, and how we can just try to really get it closer to that, right? Yes. Although that feels very daunting, as you said that, because it's very far from that right now, right? Like yeah. that is not what we engage in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, as I was reading this chapter from Bad at Math, I was reminded of another book. Um, it's called It's a Numberful World, and it's by Eddie Wu, who I hadn't heard of before, but apparently he's really big out of Australia, super oh. huge YouTuber. Um, yeah, all that stuff. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But oh, cool. his first, um, oh, his opener is this question of like, are we really born mathematicians? And the same idea of like looking into infants and what do infants do that show us that they're looking at patterns and um, all those places. Anyways, he also comes to the same conclusion. Math is the study of patterns. That is what math is. Math is patterns. Um, and so I, I just, I found those two pairing nicely together and thinking around this idea of like, wow, if we're programmed that way from birth, how could we change what we do once they hit kindergarten, et cetera, to really build upon that, that idea of patterning. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point, Audrey. And uh, I think I told you, I, I'm also reading a, a book called Precursor Math Concepts, which is actually about the wonder of mathematical worlds with infants and toddlers in terms of mathematics. And what's really exciting about that book that connects to kind of what we're talking about is that they have identified these precursor math concepts and they've identified them as attribute, comparison, change, and pattern. And what's so exciting about reading about this is thinking about infants and toddlers and how they interact with those types of concepts and how a caregiver can kind of start guiding them into, you know, their next steps in exploring those types of concepts. And uh, in this book, the author states to categorize using attributes, to make comparisons, to analyze the process of change and to identify and define patterns. That's sort of like that whole human capacity to cognitively make sense of the world. Mm. And I just, I really appreciate 
um, these authors in this book bringing out those four overarching concepts, attribute, comparison, change, and pattern. And as you know, I'm doing some TK work right now. I'm, I'm just really excited about thinking of those overarching areas and how that might guide that transition from infant, toddler, and TK into our K-12 space. That is super interesting, Mark. Um, so a connection I'm making, and I feel like I need to go now, like take your four words and like map them against this other idea is that um, a few years ago, we were asked in a very non-traditional education environment, uh, the system that supports our juvenile uh, courts and community schools. Mm -hmm. um, and they asked, they said, so what's the story of math? And I was like, what? And they're like, the story, you know, what's like the story of high high school math? Let me be more yeah, specific. Yeah. High school math. And, you know, if listeners are out there and they've been working in high school mathematics education, you know that nationally there's an, like an, a movement to say like the high school math standards are way too many. There's no coherence mm. to them. Like, what are we doing here? And so to look at those and say like, what is the story of that um, was a really interesting process. And we came up with four stories that we said this encompasses kind of the first three years of high school math, whether you're in an integrated pathway or a traditional algebra pathway. And we said that they were same and different, like the study of what's the same and what's different. And then we said it's the study or the story of like doing and undoing, which is making me think about one of the words you just yeah, said, like yeah, that change yeah, idea, sure. right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. This idea that patterns lead to structure. So I feel like we're building upon this idea of like, you can see patterns, but they also inform us to like then use something that we can continue, right? And the last one is that we can use data to make sense of the world, which is kind of going back to this idea of like, all of this is in service of making sense of our world. Like we see patterns in our world. So I am now super curious about kind of going back with what you're talking about with early infants, like mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. characteristics are, um, and attributes and things and thinking about how those relate to maybe the stories of math and how maybe we can see patterning as like, the woven thread that kind of goes TK, maybe birth through beyond. Yeah. So super curious. Oh yeah, that, that's that's really exciting. You know, as we're talking about patterns, Audrey, the the author brings out um, the a reference to pi, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as that 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 one of those things that's been investigated throughout history, like looking through looking for patterns and so forth. And you know, it, it made me pause, Audrey, because, you know, it's only been a few months since we had Pi Day <laughs> this year, which comes around every year. Yes. And uh, every year, sort of like seeing all the frills that come with Pi Day. And, um, and they usually involve eating pie. Right, right. And all kinds of different sort of variations on eating pie. And, and those are most of the tweets that I see. And but mo many times I have to admit in maybe this is just what I see from the social media and people I hear from is that a lot of times I don't hear a lot about investigating that the pattern around pi. I sort of just hear about memorizing pi to however many digits and eating pi. And mm -hmm. so it made me think about like, here's this great pattern that people have sort of like investigated over time. And I wonder how like we could, if we're, we're saying that humans are inherently seekers of patterns, um, I'm wondering, like, is is this pie investigation? You've had some more experience in a secondary level. Is that something like we're kind of missing the opportunity if we're just eating pie? <laughs> yeah, um, I, my answer to that is yes, we are missing the opportunity, Mark. Um, you know, I was at an elementary school one year um, when it hit pie day. And as a secondary math teacher, I'm like, we aren't celebrating. What are we doing? 
Um, so we went out and we drew circles all over the, the playground mm. and we had students measure um, different using different tools like their feet mm-hmm. or their, you know, um, a ball or something else and measuring like how far it was across the middle of the circle versus around the outside. And they listed all their answers and we just said, huh, that's interesting. And we left it at that, um, just kind of looking for patterns. But you know what this is making me think of, Mark, is like, mm. I think one of the ways it falls apart is that someone a long time ago, lots of people a long time ago, looked at the pattern that came up with the number pi. Like they, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was a curiosity in their world and their space. They were like, is there a relationship here? That's super interesting, right? Um, How often do we let our kids maybe look for patterns in their lives? Like I was instigating that curious, like it's pi day, let's look for the pattern between the outside, you know, around a circle versus across a circle, um, which, you know, elementary kids were willing to engage in because they hadn't heard of pi yet. Like that's right, not in their right. land, right? Yeah, yeah. Having done that activity with seventh graders, having done a similar activity with high schoolers, like they're not as curious because they know that the answer, mm. someone already figured it out, right? Someone already figured out the pattern here. And yeah. so I'm super curious about how often we allow our students to be kind of the people who say like, I'm curious if, and put those pieces together. And that kind of goes along with this, this next space that the author went into in this chapter, which is that she said, if we're so hardwired for mathematics, like if that's naturally who we mm-hmm. are as beings, Um, And we're natural pattern seekers. Like, how is it that the natural pattern seekers of yesterday, in her words, grow to be the mathematically fearful students and adults of today, right? And I wonder if it's just that we don't provide any opportunity for that space to have that question of like, do do I see any patterns? Am I curious about any patterns? Yeah, yeah. You're making me think of on page 80, Audrey, there's a quote that I just think fits exactly what you're talking about. And the quote is, however, our definition of what counts in mathematics reinforced through years of formal schooling does not make room for much of what pattern seekers do in Mm -hmm. their daily lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking about what you were just talking about, where you're curious about something before you formally learned about it. And I think that when when we allow students to drive the investigation based on their curiosity, um, it it allows them to practice being a math person because they're engaged in those habits that somebody would engage in if they're trying to figure something out. And so there's that that natural curiosity built in. There's that drive that that makes you want to try to figure something out. It kind of reminds me of sometimes in our play math booths. Uh, when we have students investigating something that's pretty open, um, we might go over there and and even ask an open question and realize, even with an open question, the student is heading a completely different direction, which ends up being remarkable and profound. Um, so um, this just makes me think of implications for the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do we make sure our kids get to be mathers? Um, I'm going to keep using that word you mm-hmm. introduced in this season um, by driving the learning. Um, but then there's complications around that, right? Mm-hmm. 36 kids going in all kinds of different directions. So, um, you know, it just, just makes me think about the value of that curiosity and drive when I'm trying to figure something out. And let's do that before they formally learn something so that they're interested and motivated. Um, but 
what are some ways we might think about organizing that too? Those are things that I'm considering. Yeah, those are big questions, which we will not have time to answer in this <laughs> podcast, nor do I know if we have answers for them. I I do think that um, there's two areas of investigation where I feel like there, we might find answers to those questions. And one of those is thinking about universal design for learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the tenets of that is that variability is predictable. And right. so like, even if there's going to be variability in what those 36 kids are going to choose to be curious about. I wonder how we can learn how it's predictable. Um, And then the second part of that, maybe investigation for us as leaders of mathematics instruction and thinkers around this area is the idea of deeper learning or deep learning and thinking about, um, you know, how are we activating curiosity and how are we activating creativity? And what does that look and sound like in a math classroom? Uh, What are the the things that are negotiable? Because right now we have a lot of non-negotiables um, in math that we hold firmly onto. And maybe we need to rethink some of those and think about maybe even leveraging, um, some bigger, big ideas is a, is a, probably a term that's probably fraught with peril, um, by now, but like, you know, leveraging some, maybe some, for lack of better word, bigger ideas across mathematics. Yeah, that, I I think that's, that's a good point, Audrey. Um, you know, the other area that, that comes to mind as we're considering all this is is the idea of, of integration, content integration mm-hmm. across content areas. Um, you know, I think that part of what that does in terms of us talking about kids getting authentically curious about things as we integrate across, across content areas, it really allows us to have some more authentic context for kids to investigate um, that aren't just siloed in a particular content area, which kind of sometimes really limits us. Um, You know, we were involved in a project where we were writing integrated units. And, you know, when I was doing that, I have to say, as I'm reflecting, Audrey, it really pushed me to see beyond where I previously thought that math could live for an elementary student. Um, We really, we were, we were, as you know, we're pushing across all content mm-hmm. areas as much as possible. And it it really lifted the investigations to be just such so much so much more meaningful. Um, and and again, I think that perhaps even my own, even though this is work that I do and I'm I'm passionate about, I still think it goes back to that quote on page 81. Our definition of what counts as mathematics is a narrow one. Mm-hmm. Um, we have siloed mathematics for so long that it is actually retread our limited ability to see um, further from that. So uh, there's a, another quote on 81 I just want to read, Audrey, and it says, if we define mathematics broadly, it is difficult to think of activities that one engage in that do not have a mathematics component. And I read that, Audrey, and I was like, wow, that's a strong statement. Like, yeah, that everything we might do might have a mathematics component. Um, I was thinking, like, what if we just grabbed activities? Like, would they pass the test? You know? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, maybe I'll come back to that a little bit later. What I want to hit first, though, is this. I really appreciate you pointing out this idea of our definition of mathematics is narrow. So, like, if we expand it into this idea that it's about patterning and it's about patterns, what does that look and sound like differently? And, you know, I'm... I know that when we sat down to write integrated content and like this is if you've never tried to do this, like it is a worthwhile yeah. activity yeah. because I think agreed. Um, you know, we sit in I sit, especially in the land of mathematics solely, so often that I don't think of 
what it looks like in other content areas and having to rethink what a grade level content is really about and how does that connect to what science is about for that grade level or writing and reading is about for that grade level or arts are about like you really have to rethink that it's not about this narrow skill it's not about this narrow standard but it's about this big like the thing we're trying to leverage across the year the thing we're really trying to design for and i think it helps us you know zoom back out when we get really so often zoom so far in on mm. very narrow things that we we mm -hmm. lose the trees we lose yeah. all of that right we yeah. all we have is like this little tiny narrow view of what's going on and we can't mm. see that it's actually part of this bigger ecosystem of learning so super interesting um that you bring that up yeah yeah no for sure um so uh audrey i'm thinking about like um some things that I might be still considering here at the yeah. end of the end of the chapter. There's still, even though it's a short chapter, there's still things that are swirling around in my own mind here. Um, one of them is a question at the end of the chapter, and it, it goes like this. It says, in what ways do you provide opportunities for teachers to explore patterns as part of their professional growth? And um, I just... I thought that was a great question. And the reason why is because it was so specific around patterns. Um, uh, you, when you and I lead professional learning, we we engage people in mathematics, our adult learners in mathematics regularly. But I have to say, I like the push about exploring patterns specifically. Like, how are we doing that in professional growth? And like, I think that's something that actually could go against uh, with professional growth in all content areas. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be cool if if some of our colleagues that were engaged in professional learning in other content areas had that question as part of something that was part of their investigations, right? What, are, what patterns do you notice? And before long, who knows, we might even see mathematics being, you know, integrated into some of those other conversations that may not be actually a mathematics professional learning, but might be in others. And what, isn't that what we want for our adult learners, just like our our student learners? We we want mathematics to be something that's that's more integrated and not sort of just this this thing that's separate. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mark. I really do. I think I think there's probably a lot of math happening in a lot of those spaces that we don't mm, call math. Yeah. To go back to that 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 idea of yeah. um, and this, that's probably the part that I'm struggling with. Uh, struggling is probably too strong a word that I'm still considering that I'm still rethinking or trying to think more about as I leave this chapter mm. is that thing you mentioned earlier where she talked about um, like I urge you to try and identify something you did today that didn't involve mathematics in a way anyway even if it was subconsciously and you know I think it's I think it's easy to say like okay everything's math um, and that's not what we're trying to do here mm. we're not trying to make Good a blanket point. statement that like yeah. oh you know <laughs> you moved a pencil. That was bad. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but like authentically, like the work we do, if we redefine math as pattern seeking, how mm. much of the stuff you do every day is that? How much of the stuff you do is not computational? It's not the equations. It's not the pulling out your calculator. But it's the, I was thinking about what time to go to the grocery store. I was debating on how to get to the school and back. I was, you know, I was thinking about, and how how can we start to rebrand that in our brains as doing math um, and whether or not that's possible. So I'm super curious about that. I'm gonna think more about that myself because I think it's both the providing the space for our teachers to have space to involve in patternings, but I think it's also for us each individually, personally, 
to really investigate if what we define as math is patterning, like where do we see that living in the world around us? Can we really look and see it um, in an authentic way? So super curious about that. Yeah, really well said, Audrey. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about chapter five, identity in mathematics education. And we will continue to discuss how we dismantle harmful beliefs that hinder equitable mathematics education. Until then, best wishes on rewriting the story of math.